morning, I got up at 6.01 I walked out and saw the rising sun And I drank it in Like whiskey I saw a tree I've seen a thousand times A bird on a branch and I watched it fly away in the wind And it hit me It's a beautiful world sometimes I don't see so What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 35 of The Locker Room. We've got a brand new segment today that we're excited to share with you guys and talk about a little bit. We've got an awesome interview with Laura Oakman, who's an NFL sideline reporter and the creator of her own company called Galvanize, which you'll hear about in the interview. But before we get into all that, I do want to announce the newest pro hockey player signing, our very own co-host, Justin Kaplmaster. He signed with the Kansas City Mavericks and the ECHL. I'm going to let Cappy do a little weird brag about himself right now for signing his first pro contract. So without further ado, our guy, Happy Cappy. What's up? Let's go Mavericks, baby. Yes. Uh, thank you, Johnny. Um, very excited to sign my first pro contract. It was a good run in college. It was a good run in juniors. But now we're getting into the big stuff, baby. Um, I'm extremely pumped. Kansas City's a great town from what I hear. It's like 10 minutes away from the Royals, 10 minutes away from the Chiefs. So I got to hit up Laura, who's born in Kansas City. Hopefully she can get the hookup on some hot spots, maybe some food spots, because you know me, I'm a big food guy. Um, and I did hear that they have the best barbecue in town. So that's the only reason I signed there. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, but you even said it last. You should like, oh, yeah, you could open up a nice Jewish deli in Kansas City. So yeah, yeah you you know, who knows? Yeah, who knows? Yeah, I guarantee there's no kosher delis there. That's for well, sure. The Jewish but population no. just increased a lot with you signing there. Yeah, I know. I, I saw that. <laughs> I saw that little comment too. Thank you, but <laughs> no, I am very excited. And um, I said this on on social media, but I do got to thank everybody who's involved, and um, you know, everybody at Robert Morris that helped me because it wasn't for them um, transferring. You know, I wouldn't have had a place to shine in my senior year and play. So definitely, big shout out to them. But besides me, because we know we could talk about myself, or I could talk about myself for days. Um, we do want to talk about the interview more and the new segment that we're extremely excited to bring you guys, which is called Oy Bay, <laughs> which I'm going to shoot over to my boy Lass so he can explain it to you guys. But I, it's, it's a super cool thing, and, and we're going to be doing it a lot more. So each week we're going to pick either like a good thing or a bad thing, something that made us go either excited like Oy Bay or something that's like, oh, crap, like Oy Bay. Um, <laughs> so essentially – Something that happened in our personal life, something in the sports world, and entertainment, yeah. all the above, anything, just something that we think is like fun to talk about. And just- as well as as well as one common thing as a whole. So for example, it could be anything. You could be walking down the street. Some guy on the side of the road walks out of a deli. He's got his bags. All of a sudden, he walks to the middle of the road. A car is coming by. It stops right before it hits him. And you're walking down the side of the road. And you look at him. Oy vey, oh my goodness, what just happened? We could have been talking about that right now, but that didn't happen. <laughs> So that's just an example or something in the news, like a huge player signing that just happened. Oy vey, I can't believe that that guy signed somewhere or something like that. So, um, I mean, well, Johnny, you want to start us off? I will gladly do the honors and start us off. My first oy vey, my oy vey of this week is parents' anniversaries on Facebook. Today is my parents' 30th wedding anniversary. And my dad obviously had to post some, you know, lame thing on my mom's Facebook wall. My mom wrote back on his Facebook wall to show everyone how happy they are. I love you. But I got, I got to read my dad's thing because my dad's into this. New, he loves Facebook. He's into this new thing where he like finds song lyrics and we'll, and we'll write it like in a picture. Like for my sister's birthday, he found a song lyric and like posted it on her wall. 
And today, he, he, this is what it says. Such a some, romantic. I know. He's so romantic. He's so cute. Some people want diamond rings. Some just want everything. But everything means nothing if I ain't got you. You know what saying, Zach Cap? Yes. Hold on. Wait. Some people want diamond uh-huh. rings. Is that Alicia Keys? But it's, I ain't got you. It's definitely Alicia Keys. Yeah. I ain't got you. We might be wrong. But, but if you guys know the song, just no, let no, us no, know. No, no. It's, um, no, 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 no. You sure? Definitely, I'm, I'm fact checking right now. Fact check. But say the lyrics again. Uh, some people want diamond rings. Some just want everything. But everything means nothing. Yep, 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 yep. Alicia Keys. Alicia Keys. Who know your dad was a big Alicia Keys fan? I know, I know. But oh, I just, they. Oh, is that like no? But, but I read that and I was like, oh, is they, Dad. What are you doing? <laughs> um, but no, I I feel like I gotta I gotta find out what my mom wrote back on his wall because probably just as cringeworthy. <laughs> she replies on my dad's Facebook wall. Looking forward to at least another 30 more years of love, laughter, and fun. Heart, heart. Happy anniversary. <laughs> like, okay, but that's like, <laughs> that, that's so adorable. You, you, gotta, you gotta hope for that one day with your partner that you're still doing that. <laughs> if, Ellie, if, if I'm married to Ellie, that's a, that's a big thing that I just said. But if, if she ever makes me post on her Facebook wall or anything, I like, come on. But it's also this. It's also a new generation, like the the old, sorry, the older generation that's trying to adapt to kind of the newer generation stuff. Like our, I mean, your parents use social media a lot more than probably other parents that are their age. That's true. What was my mom? Like my mom's all about social media. She's on everything, which is you're also great. Because you're a big "I love you, happy anniversary" kind of guy, aren't you? <laughs> you know me too well. Of course. <laughs> but back to Oi Vey. Yeah, what's yours? Um, Let's hear yours. Okay, so my Oive actually has to do with one of my good buddies, Joel. So it was his birthday weekend, um, Labor Day weekend. It great weekend overall. Um, a bunch of good stories, but I'm just gonna wrap it up into like a small little Oive that I had with him. So Saturday night, and his real birthday is on Sunday. We had a whole day planned Sunday. Saturday night, we you know we were drinking all day. He's he's feeling good. It's like 10:30, and he's like falling asleep on me. He's getting ready to go to bed. And four of our boys wanted to go to the casino. So they're going to Hard Rock. They're ready to go. All of a sudden, they wake Joel up. Joel's like, all right, I'm in. Fuck it. <laughs> so me and my boy Chris are at his house. And I'm like, all right, Chris, I'm going to leave in like 20 minutes. And I can't find my keys. So I look in this bag that we were at the beach with all day. And I empty out the bag. And at the bottom of the bag are Joel's phone, his wallet, and his keys. And he left for the casino an hour ago. So he's at the casino with no wallet, no phone, no keys. And it literally, so that's my Oive. Right when he dumped it out, I was like, Oive, Joel, are you kidding me right now? That's a tough night. But the, the, that was a tough, that is a story for another time because it was a, that, that night that he experienced is one of the funniest stories that I've ever been told in my entire life. But another huge Oive that I'm sure the whole entire world is talking about that we just want to bring up real quickly is the Odell pooping situation, <laughs> which we don't want to dive into too deep because I'm sure. Who knows if some of our listeners even know about the situation. If you don't, you can look up and do some research for yourself. If you do know, you know what we're talking about. Um, who knows if it's real? Who knows if it's not? But oy vey, I hope it's not real. And oy vey, thank God I didn't pick Odell Beckham Jr. on my fantasy team this year. That is just such a horrible rumor to be spread about somebody. Like, could I you mean, imagine you the stuff that's going to be – like, imagine him going to another an opposing stadium this year. Well, there's no fans, thank God, for him, for his sake. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's so lucky. Actually, yeah. he's going to have a year. Never mind. I'm sorry. He'll, you know what? Knowing Odell, he'll probably score a touchdown and, like, do a pooping kind of celebration. I can I, I think he'll fully embrace it. If it is true, it's not true, whatever it is, I think he's the kind of guy. Or maybe not because he, like, kicks – like, kicking stands and stuff like that. I don't know. But I, I think maybe he'll embrace it. I hope he does embrace it because, you know, stuff like that, like, 
you should have fun with it, I guess. You know, you, you got to make fun of yourself a little bit and make the most of it. But um, I could see him fully embracing it and, and doing something funny with it. 100%. Definitely a great start to the Oi Bay segment, though, Johnny. Um, I'm pretty pumped to see what Max has to say. I'm sure uh, in the next couple episodes, he's going to have a few good Oi Bays. And if you guys got any great Oi Bays for us, please let us know. We'll throw them out there on the interview because we want to hear them, too. I do want to read one quick thing that Max said I could bring up in this episode that he tweeted the other day because he's such a daredevil. <laughs> I, such I just, a social media advocate now. I love it. Yeah, Max, he's new to Twitter, so uh, I guess he's, he's in his first couple hundred tweets. But he tweeted, if the Mets win the World Series this year, I'll change my middle name to DeGrom. What a badass. <laughs> He told me I can make fun of him a little bit, so I just wanted to throw that out. There. Max DeGrom Mossbaum? Yeah. <laughs> but but wow, what, a, what an aggressive tweet that was. <laughs> it was, it was. That's pretty funny, though. That's a good tweet by Max. But the NFL is coming back this week. I hope you guys are just as excited as we are. I know Laz is missing his fantasy draft tonight for his parents' anniversary, but that's understandable. You know I will be locked and loaded on my couch 1 p.m. Sunday with a bacon, egg, and cheese in my hand ready for the week, and I hope you guys are. Unfortunately, mine won't be from Bagel Boss, but yours could be, and that's one of our sponsors I want to talk about. When thinking about Long Island bagels, Bagel Boss is the first thing that immediately comes to mind. At Bagel Boss, we look forward to bringing you the finest New York bagels, Bialis, and bakery delicacies. We offer a wide variety of kosher foods for every occasion. From a simple family brunch to an extravagant and elegant bar mitzvah, Bagel Boss does it all. Out of state, not a problem. Bagel Boss ships nationwide. Visit our new website, bagelofthemonth.com, to have all our award-winning products shipped directly to your front door anywhere in the U.S. Use code LOCKET10 for 10% off. That's L-A-T-K-E for 10% off. Hey, and if you don't want your bacon, egg, and cheese in your spread for the games, get them for Rosh Hashanah coming up. But other than that, we do want to kick it over to the interview. We hope you guys enjoy Laura as much as we did. Let's do it. Let's do it. This girl grew up in Chicago and went to Glenbrook North High School. She then went to the University of Kansas where she graduated with a degree in journalism. She spent five years working at CNN as a host and a reporter on a show like CNN Morning News. Since then, she has gone on to work for TNT where she covered the Atlanta Braves and Thrashers while also serving as a sideline reporter for the NBA playoffs. In 2002, she joined the Fox Sports Network as a host, anchor, and reporter for shows like Fox NFL Sunday and Fox NFL Kickoff. She is currently the third longest tenured sideline reporter in NFL history. She has covered Super Bowls, Olympics, NBA Finals, MLB All-Star Games, and the World Series. She has also published her own book titled Mommy is Cancer, honoring her mother. She is the creator of Galvanize and is very passionate about training and mentoring women in sports. We're so excited to have her on. Welcome to the Locker Room Podcast. Laura Oakman. Laura, how are you? You guys, I'm fired up to be here. That's how <laughs> I am. I'm excited to be a part of this. Thank you for having me. We've been we've been waiting to have you on for a long time, so we're so happy to finally get to you. Ah, uh, thank you. Honored to be here. Oh no, no, I was gonna say. So obviously the quarantine. I'm sure you've done a couple calls with some people, but any new projects going on? I'm sure you've been busy. I have probably overextended myself more in quarantine time <laughs> than I have in my entire life. 
I started out like all of us where, you know, you began and it was hard to get out of bed early on because it was just kind of that paralyzing thought of like, what do I do today? And what do I think about right now? And how do I start this day? And that was really uh, freaking me out because I just kind of woke up utterless, you know, of just where, which direction am I going? So one of the first things I did was um, my husband and I have a giant whiteboard in our office. That's the entire wall that we're obsessed with whiteboards. And so I just wrote on there purposeful, meaningful, and every day making sure that we wrote something down that was purposeful and meaningful. And some days that was simply um, adding Moscow mules to our walks with our dog uh-huh. in the evening. That was very purposeful and meaningful. Ice it up. Right, exactly. There are some things. But what it really led me to was going, um, what you talked about uh, in terms of my company, Justin, galvanized. I started doing a lot with all these women. And um, it started out as a lot of phone calls to a lot of young women who were really scared and weren't sure what they were doing in a time where we were losing sports. And um, for some of them who just graduated and didn't know what that meant, and for that, some of them in the business who were trying to figure it out. And then I started doing a lot of virtual boot camps. And I've done about 20 of them. And so it's been, you know, more than a few hundred women. And we've partnered up with the Atlanta Falcons rookie class, the um, the Chargers, Texas Tech football. So really trying to be very purposeful and meaningful to make sure that these Zoom conversations don't go wasted. Everybody's doing virtual sessions, but I was really getting nervous that nobody was connecting on them. So that's really, that's what it's become with Galvanize and also teaming up with all these teams. So I know you're very passionate about inspiring women working in the sports world, and you did just mention Galvanize. I was wondering if you can just elaborate on that a little bit and, and tell us, like, where, where do you see the progress happening five years from now with Galvanize? Um, I, I'm always so careful with that because if you would have asked me five years ago, you know, there's things I'm doing now that I never saw coming. And if you would have asked me 20 years ago, would I ever want a company for women? I'd be like, I don't know any. What do you, why would I even be thinking about that? So I'm always careful to see what I see ahead because the good stuff you never see anyway. Um, so I try to let it all happen. But it really started because I just, I never had any women in this business. I didn't have a woman mentor. I didn't have any women peers. And I really struggled early on with confidence. I really struggled early on with being the only woman and feeling like I always had to fit in. And so by fitting in with men, what would happen is I took away all my best qualities as a woman. And so I was sort of a no, no man, no woman's land. And I think I started seeing at some point all these young women get thrown into these situations that I thought was way too early. And I just knew that I would have not been ready for it. And I knew some of them were starting to um, struggle. And thankfully that happened to me when I was at an older age, because if I was twenties or thirties, I would have been like, they're not ready. You know, they they should, you know, they're not paying their dues. And I would have been judgmental of the women, but luckily it happened older where I was judgmental of the system. And I got real protective and went, what can I do about it? So Galvanize didn't start like, hey, let me have a company and a name and let me LLC and let me, you know, like, let me think yeah. about it that way. It really was what can I do right now to help these women who are getting opportunities too early um, to make sure that they're ready for them as much as they can be. And it started out the first one. It took me probably four months to get 20 women because it's just I didn't even know what it was. And now every boot camp I do, um, there's always a waiting list of about 30 women. 
And so like even that, so going back to what you asked Johnny about, like I would have never pictured that of having to, you know, keep waiting lists now of all these incredible women. And where it's changed is it used to be all women on camera, but now it's women who want to be behind the scenes. It's women who want to be running sports teams and agents and in marketing and PR and some women who don't want sports, don't like sports, but they can't wait to be a part of a sisterhood. So it's really grown in this beautiful way of just this great, this great group of women that just keeps growing and growing. We're, we're over uh, 2,500 women now. So it's, it's a big number. It's own little sorority in some sense. Yeah, I mean it's it's but it but they my army of women would attack you right now because what <laughs> them would say is we're not sorority girls we've never been in that because we've been sports girls yeah so the, so many of them come in going I, I'm not a sorority girl I've never had a lot of girlfriends like it's my story too mm-hmm. and they're really nervous because they don't know that they are a girl's girl or a woman's woman and so that's the fun thing about galvanize is. By the end of a two-day boot camp, which is usually what we do, they wind up being more in love with each other than anything and going, how did I miss this? You know, how did I yeah. not realize I was a huge girl's girl? Well, it's, fu- it's funny you, you mentioned the, how it resembles a fraternity, Laz. I think you mean by, by along the lines of we played hockey, so, like, we consider our hockey team to be, like, a fraternity. Oh. So, like, since, like, women, women working in sports is, like, their own little sorority, like, I understood where you were coming from, definitely. Oh, I totally did. I still say it. I always struggle, though, because people will say things. And I always say, like, we're our own little fraternity, sorority, sorority, fraternity. Like, that's <laughs> where I'm like, I mean, yeah, it's one of those groups like that, but 100%. And yeah. I know how that is. It's it's the same thing in, in that hockey fraternity, too, where it's probably most got many guys who felt so uncomfortable in other places, right, until you guys yeah. found each other and found your passion. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All, everyone has different backgrounds, but when you come together, it's just all one. That's exactly what you're doing. I love that. Mm-hmm. So, so Laura, you grew up in Chicago. Um, what do you think is your favorite thing about growing up in Chicago? So much, so much. I think the greatest thing is that sports wasn't gender. So people always ask, "Hey, as a woman or as a young girl, why in the world, you know, did you start?" thinking about sports, which usually men are never asked that, right? Yeah. But in Chicago, it wasn't like on Sundays, the guys watched the Bears and the girls went shopping. Like, we grew up Sundays going to Bears games or watching Bears games, and depending on your family, you were Cubs or Sox or uh, obviously Blackhawks and Bulls. So one of the things I loved is that was never a weird thing. Chicago's just a great sports town, not just for boys and men. It's a great sports town. And so – that was great for me. My mom taught me very young to make sure that I knew sports because what she would say is, one, you'll never have a bad date. And also, yeah. too, what she would say is, you'll never be left out of a conversation. And so that came in handy in Chicago because that's when we were in 85. We were only talking about bears, you know, so I can't even imagine um, not growing up in that. So I love that. The obvious answer is pizza, which, of course, I'm a pizza snob. <laughs> But um, after living in a lot of different places, I would say also what I love is the ethnicity and the diversity of Chicago, that just all those neighborhoods, all those culture, uh, all those cultures, and there's something really magical about that. And I miss that when I go to, when I live in different places that I don't feel that anymore. It's also just like the cleanest city ever, too. Chicago is like such a beautiful, and and like, I'm sure you've been to New York, you've been to Boston. All those other cities, Chicago is just like a clean version of like all the big cities, I feel like. 
I mean, I'm going to say yes, absolutely. Yes, I completely agree with you, Johnny. But yeah, and, and there is, there's really something to, before I was anywhere else, I thought we were such a friendly city and I still will go with that. We're still Midwest, but now I have lived in different places where I realized maybe we weren't as friendly. <laughs> as so I'm not sure anymore, but it was, it, it was a, it was a good city. It was a wonderful city to grow up in. Wonderful. So are you strictly deep dish pizza now or what? No, to- I both. I'm great with deep dish still, but um, as I've gotten older and as I care about what I put in my body, I probably <laughs> gotta love a thinner, a thinner crust pizza. <laughs> Cauliflower crust. Yeah, I'm good. I just love pizza, so I get crazy when everyone argues it. I'm like, just pizza tonight for dinner would be a win. I really don't care about the crust size. I love it. So for our viewers who didn't uh, pick up in the intro, um, we didn't mention where your bat mitzvah was from, but that's because you didn't have one. Can you please explain the reasoning behind that? I was so worried when you guys asked me, like, <laughs> is this interview still going to happen? So we grew up very, very reformed. And even though Chicago is a huge Jewish population, as do the north suburbs, where uh, the suburbs where I went to high school, um, there was a big Jewish population. I just was never in my brothers as well, but we just didn't have a big Jewish circle around us. So we were very reformed the two times a year going to synagogue. And <laughs> okay. um, my brothers, it was no choice. Um, we both of them were bar mitzvah in Israel at the Wailing Wall. So it was two incredible experiences, but I had the choice. And mm-hmm. so at 12 years old, you know, do you want to go to Hebrew school or do you want to have, rock and sweet 16 party you know like not that that was the choice but um but it was it was more of the conversation of my brothers had no choice it, that's where they were going my mom wasn't bat mitzvah my father was bar mitzvah but my mom wasn't and so it just it wasn't in our house um it wasn't mandated and my mom passed away when she was young when she was 51 but i would have loved to have that conversation with her now because now more than ever as anti-Semitism gets, you know, brought up yet again, you know, as we keep going in the cycle, um, I wish I could speak better about this. I've been in so many places where I've been the only Jewish person in Montgomery, Alabama and Chattanooga, Tennessee, and so many of my teams I've traveled with, and I wind up being a representative. And I hate that because I'm just not well-versed enough. And so, um, and so, Back in the day, I would have been like, I'm not, but I had a great, I wasn't bought it, but I had a great sweet 16. And now that's something that I'm like, ah, uh, I wish, I wish I would have done so. Isn't it crazy though that you just mentioned that you were in Montgomery and Chattanooga? I, I don't know if I just pronounced that right. I've never said that word in my life. But, um, <laughs> but when, when people ask you about the Jewish culture and the Jewish religion, isn't it like insane how, like, how much they just don't understand it? Like, it, it really, like, they, they think, like, someone has asked me before, and I think, I think someone else has said this to us that, they asked if we celebrated Thanksgiving. And I was like, what? Like, how, un- how uneducated are you? Yeah, and, and I hope you guys haven't been asked this, have been um, asked this, but lately I've talked to a lot more friends in the last couple weeks since Deshaun Jackson talked. So we've been sharing a lot more of our situations, and I found this is not very uncommon. But one of the first things I remember in Montgomery, Alabama, was me saying I was Jewish, and and I was petrified too. I mean, I, I really was one of those that tried to keep it quiet that I, I, you know, that, that I was always uncomfortable with it and just praying they wouldn't ask. Cause the first thing I learned when you moved to the South, especially the deeper South, 
the first question people ask isn't where are you from or what high school did you go to? They ask where you went to church. Mm-hmm. And so that was always very difficult for me. I struggled with that when I was younger. But one of the first times that I said I'm Jewish, I was asked, where are your horns? Yeah. And it wasn't me. They weren't, you know, they weren't, you know, t- trying to make an anti-Semitic statement. That's what they believed. And I didn't understand it until I went home and I called my mom and I said, is this weird? And she went, oh, you know, no, actually, that's the oldest thing, you know, in the world. So I think I'm still amazed by it. But I thought that was back then. And now watching all of this come back like it does every every however often every generation I think we're all seeing again how ignorant people are and my hope is it's ignorance and it's not malice then it's not you know that I, I'd rather if it was people who said I just I didn't know you know I don't know enough about your faith and, and I get that but it's the ones who've made up their opinions about our faith before they even ask any questions yeah, but very well said. And, that, and that's one of the, the main purposes of why we started this this podcast is to kind of bridge the gap. You know, like Johnny and I played hockey in Texas, you know, two Jewish boys in, in South Texas, you know, uh, our coach is. <laughs> yeah, North Texas. But, but our coach was extremely religious. I mean, um, would go to church. Uh, guys would pray, pray after the games and everything like that. And he treated us so well. Like we weren't scared to be like, Hey, we're Jewish. You know, my billet mom, 75 year old lady went to church every Sunday. She knew I was Jewish, loved everything about it. So that's kind of where we're at. Trying, trying to bridge the gap, making sure people aren't timid being like, Hey, you could say, Hey, I'm Jewish, you know. I'm so proud of you guys for, and so happy for you guys that you got that because I'm sitting here thinking if I would have had one, not putting it on other people, if I would have had, um, if I would have had the courage, if I would have just had the, the, if I would have had the courage to just go in and be proud of my heritage and just say I'm Jewish and enter with that energy, but I was so the opposite of it. I, I so much again wanted to fit in, not stand out, but how lucky for you guys also that you have people because, the same thing, the sports that I cover and the people I'm with, it's predominantly Christian. And yeah. I'm always really fortunate for, I, 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 when I'm on the road every weekend during the fall. So I go to church with them on, on Saturdays, you know, yeah. and, and I love to. And, and I've asked a couple of them who have gone to temple with me on the road when it hit one of the high holidays. And I love that, but haven't seen enough of that. So I got it older. I'm glad you guys had it younger because I, I would have not only would I've never hosted this podcast, but I wouldn't have been on it earlier. I would have been so uncomfortable with it. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, some people aren't as like I've noticed it, too, even growing up just in general, even on Long Island. Some people still don't want to talk about how Jewish they are to like the people they know in other states just because. Uh-huh. You know, but, but Long Island, everyone's everyone's pretty much for the most. I mean, a lot of uh, the population is Jewish. So yeah. like. People think of Long Island, people think, you know, like just how it is. But I just wanted to share with you, too, like about the South. Obviously, the South is like a very welcoming, you know, people are very friendly. And like and like Justin just mentioned, you know, our billet parents took us in. They, they hosted us. They let us live with them. And funny story, my like billet mom actually bought a menorah to put in our window in Wichita Falls, Texas. And I was like, we don't even have a menorah in my house. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> she, she, we did Hanukkah. She fully embraced it like. The South is just awesome. And, and Laura, I know you mentioned that your brothers were bar mitzvahed in Israel at the wall, and I'm sure you've been to Israel multiple times for that. But do you plan on going in the future for yourself to get your own bat mitzvah? Um, I don't know. You know, it's it's funny because um, I married outside my faith. And so my husband's the one who probably 
started talking about this more often, more, uh, earlier than I started thinking about it. This was probably, I don't know, a couple years ago when the world started, well, actually three and a half years ago, when the world started turning. And I would explain to him about something as small as I would say I would never write down my faith on any official form. And he'd be like, what? And I'm like, because I know what lists me. And I know what they're, you know, I just, and that was always kind of where I was, like, I, I don't even say I'm, I won't even put that I'm Jewish. Why do they need to know that? Yeah. And so um, he was the one that said, why aren't we putting a mezuzah on the door? And I was like, I, I don't want a mezuzah up on it. Because I was just watching the way the world was going. And, and I live in Nashville, but outside of Nashville in the country. Um, I'm quite certain I'm one of, if not the only Jewish person out here. But so I think he was so... Um, I think he would listen to that, but then he started saying to me as I was struggling, like so many of us, with what direction our world was turning, was why don't we call and look for a temple that's in town, and why don't we go? And so I started calling temples and saying, um, what do you do? You know, like, do you do, do you have conversations? And I, I'm looking for somewhere that actually is about faith, but also I want to see how faith is pertinent right now in politics for us. Like, I really want that connection. And the temple that I called was wonderful because I said, my husband is not Jewish. And she said, congratulations, you're like every one of our other members. <laughs> so I was like, yes. But so I, he put me on that path of starting to think about it and going, um, how much do I want to, you know, how much do I want to go back? And, and now in a time where I'd love to study, now in a time where I'd love to learn more about my faith versus at 13, I have been thinking about it before everything went crazy that those were two of our trips that we had planned coming up were going to Israel. He's never been there and, um, and doing a concentration camp tour, which has always been the one thing I've wanted to do. So definitely want to do those trips. And I, I 100% could see going back and doing and, and getting bat mitzvah or, or at least going to some Hebrew school classes and, and some Judaism classes. Cause I need it right now. I really do. Yeah, I've heard of a lot of people getting bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah uh, at a later time in their life just because it was a different generation back in the day. Like you said, you know, some people didn't want to or some people didn't have the opportunity to. So who knows? Maybe down the road in Israel, something will spark your interest or maybe in Nashville, the temple will uh, pique, your, pique your interest and you'll you'll get a bat mitzvah. But speaking of Nashville, I love the hat, by the way. Is that a Steve Nash or a Rick Nash or is that oh, Nashville? No, no, this is just Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? I'm no, I was joking around. I was joking. <laughs> Completely, com- <laughs> completely joking. But um, speaking of Nashville, how is it compared to Chicago? I, I do you turn into a huge country music fan now or what? I have been since I moved to Montgomery, Alabama. So that's the one thing in Chicago. I never got into country music. And when I lived in Lawrence, Kansas, I was never uh, into country music, although I should have been. But I've been into country for really almost 30 years now. So my husband and I, we met late in life. You know, we've been married eight years or together eight years. And so we were both living in LA. My husband's from there and from, from California. And so we both can live anywhere. We need airports. That's all we need. And so we started looking around and going, everything about where we are right now is a memory of somebody else or something else because we, you know, we met so late and we said, what if we found a place that we went and every memory was us and we created this whole chapter that's just you and I. And so we made our checklist of what what things would we want to do? You know, what are we looking for? And 
Nashville hit every single thing. And people always go, well, it was like two and three. And I'm like, we never got to it because it was, you know, we, it hit everything and we both loved it so much. And for any of you guys who spent time here, everybody comes here and loves it for a weekend. And what I always say is that energy doesn't change. <laughs> it's, that's what it is all the time. So it's wonderful. Now, again, we didn't go into town because we were coming from LA and it felt like we didn't want to go you know, in from that from that little bubble to another bubble. So we went about 20 minutes out and we're on a lake and we're in the country and we are still 20 minutes into the city so we can go enjoy life and in the old days, go enjoy life and people. But <laughs> it's really nice because um, we're just out here, just out here, you know, really just him, me and our puppy, just enjoying life, a very different life. But it's like Chicago in terms of um, back to great food, but it's just, it's, it's not like anything else, just the music, the energy. It's just, it's a really great city. I love it. It's, uh, I think I've lived 12 or 13 different places and this is my favorite by far. My brother-in-law's bachelor party was there last, last May. I went to Nashville once. I got the best, uh, best pulled pork sandwich of my life. <laughs> what's, at, the, what's the chicken I, place? At Acme. Um, there's several, you guys, I hate to say this cause I don't eat barbecue. So I'm always like, I, and I don't eat hot chicken. Hattie but, bees, but that's what it is. Hattie which bees. one? Hattie, Hattie bees. A hundred percent. This is Nashville. So we travel the same NFL crews. We have our own team. And so we travel as a, as a small unit, every city, every week. And when we get a Nashville game, which isn't often cause Fox is predominantly NFC, but we'll occasionally once a year get a Titans game. Now, when we do any other city, we all Friday night, there's a group of about 10 of us that we go to different restaurants every Friday night, wash and repeat. And when they come to Nashville, we have them over at the house. We light a bonfire. We have a friend over who will be a country musician, you know, like that's their living. They're a country musician, and we will have Hattie B's. We'll bring some great chicken, and we sit outside, and we watch the sunset on the water, and a friend will play country music for us and do a show, you know, just acoustically. And nowhere else, there's no other city would we do something like that. But that's kind of the vibe. But, and the first time I did that, um, my hockey guys, you'll like this, but I used to travel with Kenny Albert. Have you had him on this? Yeah, we love him. He's the You guys, he's the best. But mm-hmm. so um, the, our friend, Craig Campbell, who's a country singer, came over. He was a guest, but he was also the entertainment. And he was very nervous, and he wasn't talking. And I came up to him at dinner and was like, what's up and he was like I want to ask Kenny like I want to talk to him but I'm so nervous does he want to talk football does he want to talk hockey and I was like do you want to talk country music and he's like that's all I want to talk about (laughs) go talk to Kenny that's all he wants to talk about so that's what's wonderful too is that it could be the most famous country musicians and they're still so so normal and typical and it's it's pretty fun coming from LA So I watched a few of your profile videos. Um, I watched the one with Aaron Rodgers and Brian Erlacher. How did that start? And what is it like to get to know these athletes on a personal basis off the field? Uh, that's my favorite part of the job. And it started because I was, um, you know, that's already probably eight years ago now that I did that. But I had this great conversation with um, with a player Steve Smith, the the former Panther, and Steve took a couple years to get to know. He just didn't trust a lot of people and wouldn't let you in the bubble. 
And it took me a while. And then Steve and I would have these outstanding conversations pregame about faith and about raising your children in a, in a racial relationship and just all these wonderful things. And he told, we had this about a 45-minute conversation once pregame. And he said to me afterwards, how much of this will you say on the air? And I said, oh, about 1%. And he's like, well, why? And I said, that's all I get in. And he said, that's a shame because if you did a show like this, I would do that show. And Steve at the time didn't do media. So I was like, mm -hmm. so I went into the president of Fox um, the next day on Monday. And I said, I have a show. And here's the 12 guys I would reach out to immediately. So it was Aaron and it was Erlacher and, um, and Steve and, and had just a great list. And he's like, that's a terrific idea. We don't have that. Um, because I told them I want it all off the field. I, there hadn't been anything like that for a long time on the air, but we were really seeing players who they are. We see them a lot like that now. So he said, it's a great idea. And I said, who should I talk to? And he said, you should go start a production company, get yourself a sponsor, and you should produce that show. And I was like, huh? And I never in a million years thought of that. So Johnny, back to why you don't say what you want to do five years ago, I, in a million years, I would have never said I want to be an executive producer. I want to... I want to start a production company, but he kind of like set me out and I'm sure that would be thought that was the end of the conversation, but I went and did it. I went and had a meeting with Vizio and they were just starting to get into sports. And I said, here's my guest. Here's the show I want. I didn't bring a, a second of video. I just said, here's my relationships and they're all in. And Vizio was like, we're in. And so I produced it for one season for them at airing on Fox and the next year Fox bought it. But so it was the biggest thing I try to teach all my women, which is I never knew how smart I was until all of a sudden I had to go start an LLC and had to negotiate with lawyers and airtime and commercials. And, you know, I, I never thought I could do that stuff. And it showed me what power felt like having to hire a team and be the boss. Mm -hmm. And so it was the greatest. It really was the greatest gift. And circling back to the second part of the question, Building relationships is everything. It's my foundation in life, not just my job. But I could have never done that show without having built relationships for decades. You know, I got to know Aaron when he was backing up Brett. You know, I didn't wait till he got the job. And Brian I knew for a really long time, but it took me about two years to get close with Brian. You know, Brian keeps a real close bubble. And so it was really lovely because I could say to these players, you and me are doing this. I'm not sending this to an editor. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm doing the interview. I'm writing it. I am editing it. You know, I'm in charge of this. So you will, you will be producing it with me. And so every one of them loved that because that was before the time. Now where they all start, you know, everyone creates their own production company and content. No one was doing that then. So it was great. It started me kind of selling it. And then I had a line of guys who all wanted to be on it because they all would tell each other, go do that one. You'll have a 30 minute show that shows you in a different way. I was, I was just going to say, it, it says a lot about you that these players are super comfortable sharing their story with you because of how comfortable that you make them. It's everything. And you guys know this from doing this, you know, it's just, it's absolutely everything. And that's one of the things I really try to teach is it's not about building sources. It's not about building connect. It's not about building contacts. It's about building relationships, especially that means when you don't need anything. And so that's really my biggest thing that I always try to teach every young aspiring journalist about invest in the relationships. I legitimately have one day a week. It's called relationship Tuesday. That's all I do. 
I reach out to everybody with no agenda, with no questions sometimes, just reaching out and checking in. I, after an NFL game, I get to the car and we have about an hour before a flight or two hours before a flight. I go look through every single other game so I can text every coach, every general manager, every player that I have a relationship with and congratulations on the win. Sorry for the loss. So sorry about the injury. So I'm constantly making sure that I'm working on relationships. I don't take them for granted and I don't reach out just when I need something. And I apologize. My husband's going to walk through this door any second. Please, it's fine. Yeah. Give, him a, give him a quick little shout out. <laughs> so, so Laura, you mentioned some of the relationships and friendships you made throughout your career. Stuart Scott was a great friend of yours and a huge influence on a lot of people. Can you talk a little bit about the person he is and the amount of people he impacted? I know you also started the Stuart Scott Minority Scholarship. Yeah. Did you see the dog that just walked by after my husband? I did. Booyah, right? His name is Booyah. So we literally keep Stuart alive in this house all the time. Um, you know, every time people ask about, I traveled with the Bulls in the second three-peat. And so um, everyone will always ask me about games, which I understand, and about moments. And every one of my memories that I think about with that run was with Stuart. And it was just, that's where I met him. And he was ESPN2 at the time. He was just starting. So we could go out to dinner and nobody would say anything, you know. So it was a really different time. But Stuart, I always just try to say this, where as wonderful as everybody thinks he is on TV, and he was so wonderful, but there's just, I just can't even express how many layers deeper it went, you know, that sometimes, and I would tell him this all the time, I hated that he was known for Booyah. I hated that he was known for as cool as the other side of the pillow because he was so good at interviewing. He was so good at writing. He was so good at connections. And we kind of, that never got the due that I thought it should, but he just was the most loyal, wonderful friend. He was so important to my growth because um, he just would always make sure that he just turned my thinking from I'm a woman sports broadcaster to your sports broadcaster. You know, that I'm not competing with other women. You're competing to be the best journalist. That's men and women. And while I was going back to trying to blend in and not wanting to stand out for being a woman, my best friend, all he wanted to do was stand out. While all of his bosses were telling him, pipe down. You know, like, let's not do, don't be so loud. And squirt, we get louder. So that was really, really important to me. And I hope we all have a friend like this. It's so hard because sometimes when someone passes, I do this with my mom all the time. You can think about what would she say at this moment, you know, when you know somebody so good or so well. But I can't do that with Stuart because you never knew what he was going to say. It was never what you thought you were going to hear or what you wanted to hear. It was what you needed to hear. And so I miss that voice so much in my personal life and in life right now when his voice would be so important. But he just was – um he was the most loyal friend I've ever had, the most um, uh, the most engaging, and probably what made it so special was his bubble was small, his circle. So when you when you were truly his his girl or you were his guy, uh, he would do absolutely anything for you, and you felt special because there weren't a whole lot of people who felt like that. His speech when he accepted uh, the Jimmy V Award gave me the chills when I when I first when I first heard it. So when he did that, because I kept begging him to read it to me, you know, like just tell me and he wouldn't. And normally he would read everything to me. So we'd always read each other's scripts and just anything we were working on and he wouldn't do it. And so I was, you know, 
privileged to be part of the family um, all sitting together for that weekend. And that's you guys when I really knew how sick he was because he was so strong for so long. And then to hear that speech, I just was and said to Mike, my husband right away, boyfriend at the time, but I said to him, he just read his eulogy. And Stuart came off and, you know, the first time we saw him when, when we met him right afterwards, and I just remember hugging him and he whispered in my ear, you understood that, right? And I did. Like, and that was him for the first time saying that he knew that this was going to be how everyone remembered him. This was going to be what played every year. This was going to be the thing that Max remembered about him. So that speech was incredible. That speech was beautiful. And he, uh, he, yeah, that was perfect timing. Um, And that was him. Just everything he did. um, I, I keep so many of my texts from him and, you guys would be blown away if I started reading texts. You'd be like, that was just a text he sent. Everything was beautiful. Everything was meaningful. We had a rule in our friendship, in our, in our friendship for 20 years, no small talk. We're not together enough, so let's not waste it. So we didn't talk sports. We didn't talk about what was going on with Michael Jordan. We talked about what we were doing at that moment during that series. Um, and we were always saying to each other, let's make sure that we're not just talking about other people's moments. Let's be cognizant of our moment in the middle of it. And so that's that was a gift that hopefully we both gave to each other during that time. Yeah. And, and I know for a fact that he inspired a lot of, like, our generation to grow up and, and try to, you know, be like him. I mean, Stuart Scott was the guy I woke up to every morning watching on Sports Center. So definitely a huge inspiration to our generation. But also you, you did mention the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan, how you covered them through their championships. I want to ask you, and I, I want you to be honest with us, because a lot of people have different opinions. Watching the last dance, did it truly depict how that team was and how that, I guess, dynasty was, or was it a little off? Because people say Michael Jordan didn't just—it was just his perspective, not really the perspective from a whole on the Bulls organization. I thought it was great in terms of I thought it showed more than most people had ever seen of him. You know that I, you know we all, as a Chicago girl, covering him would be real. We is going to start going crazy. Um, Chicago girls sometimes, and a young Chicago girl, as I was learning how to be a reporter, it was hard to cover them because everybody would want to know, like, so what's he really like, or what are they really like, or what's the dynamic? And I always was like, do you perpetuate what everybody thinks, or do you kind of let everybody down and say real stuff? So I used to, I tended back then to perpetuate, you know, to keep everybody up on that pedestal. And so I thought this was a really great look at the way that his teammates feared him. The way that, you know, that everybody did, the way that it was, um, everybody respected him, obviously, but I thought it was a good look at how he ran the team and how it was to be a teammate of his, which didn't you guys watch that and go, that would be hard, you know, be amazing and look at what you get with it, but it couldn't have been easy. And so I was very privileged to have some of those conversations with teammates. And so I thought it was a great depiction of um of taking him off the pedestal and showing him to be um to be a man with an ego and have his own flaws and there were things I wish they would have gotten into more but I thought I thought it was probably the most honest look at him that we've seen I thought it was amazing so Laura you got to defend Scotty Pippen though a little bit because Scotty took a, a hard beating in that documentary so what, what was your opinion on Scotty during that time that's where I felt bad for Everybody else in that documentary, you know, like I, I really was like, oof. Um, 
I just know, I just know his teammates loved him, you know, and I know, I know he was a great teammate. So what was really interesting back then, and I wish you guys, I was older and I could tell you that deeper stuff about more about relationships, but I was so intimidated during that time. You know, so I look back at that, at that last dance, and my husband it probably drove him crazy because he had to press pause every two minutes. I mean, let me, <laughs> this. let me tell you what happened here. But Michael Wilbon, David Aldridge, like those guys mentored me, you know, Stuart, obviously. And so I was so out of my league that I depended on the kindness of everybody that now if I covered that team, I'd have these great deep relationships with those guys. But back then I was intimidated by that. So what I can tell you, though, is that um, everybody really respected Scotty. Everybody liked him. And what I remember as a young reporter is Michael never said no to an interview. You never waited for Michael at the end of a game, win or loss, and was like, is Michael coming out tonight? Is Scotty coming out tonight? Like, Is Horace coming out tonight? Is Steve coming? Like, every one of them were so dependable. And that was the rock show back then. I mean, that was the game, not just in our town, in every town we went to traveling. And I'll always be thankful for and really I think about that a lot with players now as I cover teams who aren't as dependable. Like if Michael Jordan could do that every day with the world, like all on top of him, everybody else should be able to. Definitely. And Laura, you also covered the 2002 NBA Finals where the Lakers and Kobe Bryant won that year. Have you ever got the chance to speak with him? And what kind of legacy do you do you think somebody of that stature is going to leave behind? The, the conversation I had that was the longest and, and the most meaningful with Kobe was during the Olympics. And that's the first time. So I remember is, um, when he came into the league, I was so startled like everybody was who covered Michael like wow like got it like not only were there things that reminded you of Michael on the court but I was like does he watch his press conferences does he and he did you know does he watch how he talks to the media because Kobe was so you know was trying to do that was trying to emulate and I never I always thought he was very closed off which he was and the Olympics was lovely because that was the first time sitting down with him and he was having a ball and every shot. Him, and I just remember, you know, every time you saw him at any of the games, cause he was going to all the games when the basketball team wasn't playing, he was having more fun than anybody. And so to be able to sit down with him and say that, that was like my first question is you mm-hmm. think you're having more fun than anybody. And him saying that it was the time of his life and, and, then having a whole conversation about that was college for him. He had never done this before. Mm. And he was at a point in his life where he let the armor down and had a real conversation about that. So I'll always remember that conversation and, and, uh, and, and him talking about for the first time, me really seeing who he was as a person and not trying to be Michael or trying to be a legend, just really enjoying fitting in to the Olympic, uh, Olympic world. And, I don't know. It's, it's, it's been, it was interesting after he passed and watching all of the support and watching everything coming in because there's not many legends that we are mourning who die so young and tragically, right? Let's just, we're usually, we're doing this later on in their life. So I thought it was very interesting as a journalist, but watching a lot of feelings unfold and trying to make sense of his life and his legacy and, um, and his mistakes and, if he owned up to the, if he owned up to them, if he didn't, and there was so much um, 
debate and so much conversation. And I, I was, I, it was very interesting watching all of that unfold. Listen, the, the basketball world is definitely going to miss out on a very heartfelt Hall of Fame speech from Kobe Bryant because you know that would have been unbelievable. And the WNBA, just women's yeah. basketball, college basketball, and that's one of the things is just what I wonder if he would have become an owner. I wonder, you know, what, what, you know, like if it was, was he going to coach in the NBA, but was he going to coach his daughters, you know? Probably wouldn't exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was such a, that was, um, that was a, that was a a lovely voice. And, And I also think there's something really wonderful about the thing that I see most attributed attributed now when we talk about him as girl dad. And so I think that's pretty wonderful, too, that that sort of, you know, he, it's like he almost brought that phrase out and to see all these men so proud to be that hashtag girl dad. Um, I, I, you know, I hope we all have that. I hope people remember us for our work, but I hope there's something more meaningful like that that we're remembered for, too. Yeah, and let's not let's not forget that his daughter Gianna uh, passed away as well with him. And from what I've heard, she was an amazing person and an amazing basketball player as well. So it's upsetting to see where she could have been. Um, definitely in a few years, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's one of those where I think um, it just we all stopped, you know that that. It, oh yeah. It, the world stopped. The, the world, world stopped. stopped. It really did. And just the, you got that tweet or you saw that the, the, that news. Everybody was like, You're, "This is a joke," you know. Yeah. It was one of those moments. It was, and the tragedy of him, which it was tragic, but for you know of exactly that of what her life would have looked like and what she would have done. Um, and, uh, every, every video you see it for every picture, like you see that life, right? Like it's just, you see that life in her. Um, but yeah, so it's, I remember mourning Stuart and losing Stuart with the world was hard because it feels so personal. And so all of a sudden you're seeing people on TV that, you know, weren't kind to him or he wasn't friends with. You see people who have an opinion who I knew shouldn't have an opinion. Um, and sometimes it's you're you're mourning so deeply, and yet everyone wants to talk about that person, and and that's hard because it's so personal. And um, and that was very interesting watching, you know, just the world with Kobe too. It just it it felt like people took it so personally, right? Yeah, with with the absolute shock when you got the news, you didn't believe it, and it's, it was like you said, it's one of those moments that you just remember where you were when you got the got the news. Yeah, and you guys don't have a lot of those moments, right? Like your generation with with athletes. Yeah, I mean, I really know. Mainly, mainly just it's more like 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 happy moments, I would say, for where I really remember where I was. That's like probably the like the sad uh, like a sad moment or event where that happened. I hate to tell you, it's gonna be your first of many, and you remember those like those are the ones that you really remember probably more than anything. Sorry, guys. Sorry to break down. No, well, let's get the back up here. Yeah. Well, on on a brighter note, as a sideline reporter, I see that sideline reporters carry, are carrying around a notepad with a lot of words on it when they're conducting on-field post-game interviews. So what is the preparation like before and after the game? No, before and during the game, I meant. <laughs> it's so funny because – it's it's a really there's so much prep during the week. I mean, we're preparing just as much as our play-by-play guy and our analyst. You know, we're all three in the same meetings. We watch the same games. You know that you're. It's sometimes all of a sudden week nine or week twelve, and you're doing two teams you haven't seen before. And so sometimes it's just that hard week of leaving a game, and now 
all right, I got to dive into absolutely everything. And I haven't even seen the Buffalo Bills and Tennessee Titans. And so um, besides watching their past games and, and trying to get at see as much as you can, for me, what's really important is just we get all the clips for all the local and the national um, teams. And so we try to read absolutely everything we can. So by the time we get to the facility on Friday of the home team, we have seen everything that's been written all week. We have seen every quote. We have seen every press conference. But then we get private meetings with the head coach, with coordinators, and with a group of players. And that's just us and the and the, and um, the and those men. And then after those private meetings, kind of one us on you know four of us in a room with one person. Then I get to walk out with them and to have my own conversation with them. And my rule is, as a reporter, I won't say anything during the game you guys have already heard. So I'm going to research everything, but I need to move it. So I need to make sure every time you hear me talk about a player or the team that you're like, oh, I didn't know that. And so um, what you do is, you know, we're, we're meeting with both teams. We're doing all those meetings. And then our Saturday night production meeting, we're going over every graphic. We're going over all of the storylines. And then what happens on Sunday is it all kind of gets thrown out. You're just completely prepared, but then a game happens. And so all of a sudden you have that notebook of a lot written down and suddenly a game goes crazy and you're like, well, that means nothing. And so as the reporter, I have three games going on. I've got the one I'm watching. I've got the one in my ear, which is the most important for me because I got to know what my guys are talking about. So if they all of a sudden say that, does it look like somebody came to the bench and I didn't see he's on the other side and he, the quarterback kind of went like that with his hand and I hear them say that I got to go run over there and watch. So I'm watching, I'm listening, I'm watching. And then I got two benches to watch, you know, what's communication like, is there communication? How are they getting along? How, you know, is everything working technology wise? And that can be hard to balance all those things. So you're really watching that and making sure that, you're, you know, you're, you're, um, you're seeing the storylines develop and hopefully sometimes there's things that something will happen and I'm able to say, Hey, I can add to that. You know, I talked to him exactly about what you guys are talking about, but my rule is as a sideline reporter, whatever sport I'm doing, but predominantly NFL now, if the guys aren't talking about it, I won't talk about it. I never wanted to be that reporter where it's like, and now down to Laura, who's going to tell us about something we're not talking about. <laughs> I want to be part of the conversation. So I've got to be on the same page with those two and know what they're talking about, know what storylines they're interested in so I can add to that. I'll tell you what, your peripheral vision's probably off the charts. It's off the charts. Did my husband tell you that? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, I'm a goalie. You know, I'm always looking no, like back and forth. So, I mean, exactly. from, from, from your standpoint, I mean, hey, it might be better than most athletes. It's because you have to, you, you, you know this, like you have to train yourself and you have oh, to yeah. test it each time. Like, you know, that you, you don't know your blind spots until somebody takes advantage of your mm -hmm. blind spots. And so it's really taught me how I can focus and um, I can focus on what I'm doing and not let anything else bother me because I've got to really stay on what that or that or that yep. whatever it is. But um, it's uh there's nowhere I'd rather be on a Sunday than on the field. And, and I hate bad weather games. The older I get, I hate them more. And I'm a baby about them. My team hates when it's pouring or snowing hard. Like, they don't want to whine about it. But at the end of the day, I'd hate to be up in the booth. Like, w bad weather games is when I bond most with players. Because I'm standing over by that heater if they let me. I'm standing by the fan. And guys come over and we all bitch about how cold it is. Or, <laughs> so, like, I love that. And 
I love hearing conversations that I can't report on. You know, I oh, yeah. really can tell you who likes each other and I can really <laughs> tell you who oh, yeah. communicate very well. And it's really a privilege to be down there and, and know what you're, know what you're looking at and know how to kind of watch your peripheral and get the whole picture. Yeah. When they got the uh, mic'd up stuff they show on like YouTube, I'm sure you got like miles and miles of just recorded <laughs> mic'd up stuff in your head. So you can release it anytime. <laughs> But I know football is football's your main niche. Um, but how is it being the media consultant for for professional women's hockey players? And who are some of the women you represent? Um, so the PWHPA, who is uh, nearly 200 of the top women professional hockey players in the world who aren't playing now currently professionally because um, they are uh, they are working really hard to make sure that women's hockey has a league that women's players that the sport deserves because they haven't yet in history. And so if they're in the PWHPA, I get to um, help them with their media and with their communications. And so there's too many for me to say because I, I love them. It has been so awesome working with so many men. And I've got a couple Super Bowl coaches I coach, so I'm used to the men and players. But it has been such a cool experience working with all these badass women and, you know, and really helping them with their message off the ice and not as athletes but as human beings, which women tend to have a harder time with that. But the one name drop I will do is because I know she's a friend of the show is Chelsea Goldberg, who I love, love, love. And Chelsea and I have had great conversations when I first met her. I couldn't get to her quick enough to be like, are there any others? Like, (laughs) what's your experience? And Chelsea grew up the opposite of me. She was in L.A. So, you know, like she's she's always been so open with her Judaism. And I love talking to her because at a young age, she's never been uncomfortable with that where I was. Yeah. She's a rock star, right, guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, I mean, and you also can't really hide the Judaism thing when you're rocking a jersey with the last name Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, we, we we did talk about my friend Goldberg, who's actually not Jewish, the one token person with the last name Goldberg. I know, crazy, crazy. <laughs> really? And does he get frustrated by it, annoyed by it, or, like, used to it? Yeah, he he wanted to come on the podcast. He was trying to fool everybody with the last name Goldberg. And I said, ah, sorry, buddy. <laughs> Our radar will work. We will go. Exactly, right? I've never heard of a non-Jewish Goldberg. Same. Same. <laughs> that's tough. Like, mm-hmm. Stuart and I would talk about this all the time. We would talk about the differences of bigotry. Because I would always say, at least you know. You know, like, you know who someone is if they if they either are for you or against you. But we don't always know. Like, you can befriend someone, you can have a relationship, and a month in, all of a sudden, they make an anti-Semitic comment. Or they make yeah. a comment against whatever oppressed group because they think you're, you know, you're in the club. And I would always say to him, that sometimes makes me feel like it's it's so much harder because we see so much hate. And it can be surprising sometimes. Like, oh, didn't see that one coming. Um, but we would always talk about that, the differences. But I would think for him, that's a really interesting situation. <laughs> thinking you're Jewish. I know. It's crazy. But speaking of last names, what do you, what do you think is the, uh, the craziest last name you've seen working in sports? Maybe your favorite. There's got to be some insane ones. Come on. I've never been asked that. <laughs> Who have other people said? Oh, I'm just I'm that's just our asking first, you. Uh, yeah. It's the first time you're asking it? Yeah. I don't know. Like, there's so many that's, like, 
that you have to practice a hundred times and pray that they don't get exactly injured, right. That you don't want to say, or, you know, like, like Ndamukong, like Ndamukong Sue. Sue took a minute, you know, like now we can all say it so easily, but I remember back then having to, you would never say Ndamukong. You would always say Ndamukong. It's better we didn't have that option this year. No need. <laughs> but you would always train. Was it, I hope that was a good that was one. Okay. <laughs> But you have to practice those all the time. So there are, there's a ton of those every season where you're oh, yeah. like, here we go. But that's where we have our PR people that when they come in, when we see them Friday and Saturday, that we can go over all those names. Oh yeah. You got the pronunciation. Mine's Capel Master. So it's not a, not, not, a, not too hard. No. No, no. And <laughs> it, also it's between hyphening. Like there's ways that people are going to know oh, yeah. they see it once you spell it, like how this is how it sounds. Exactly. Um, I went to my dad when I first started on TV, so in Montgomery, and I said, can I put an A? Can I do O-A-K-M-I-N? And I just thought, no big deal. People change their name for TV all the time or broadcasting. And I found out very quickly that it was a big deal to change your last name. <laughs> so I have no A. <laughs> but I, I constantly get Ackman still. So I'm very sensitive to make sure, hopefully, that I get everyone's names right. Well, it is difficult. It is. It's like a silence. It tries to trick you. The craziest last name I've 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 heard is TJ Hushmanzada. Another one, and that was again. And sometimes when I learned when I learned TJ Hushmanzada, you can't look at the jersey. Like you just have to say with you know, like you just have to have the name down and not look at it or read it because it would mess you up. But Hushmanzada was a big one. Dustin Bufflin would be mine. <laughs> Do you like it? You just like no, that? his his last name lo- looks like Bifuglian, but it's pronounced Bufflin. Oh yeah, yeah. But again, that's why, especially anything with hockey, you guys. Yeah. I, I can't look at jerseys. I gotta just learn the name yeah. and then. Oh then yeah. Good. Oh yeah, we know. But uh, piggybacking off of that, that kind of leads me into this next question. I think social media probably helped you with pronunciation, obviously, because you see the names more now that you're on your phone, you're on Twitter, Instagram. I think it just becomes more familiar. So when you started in the sports business, social media wasn't a thing. How the internet you... wasn't a thing. Yeah, so how did you have to adjust to the social media age or just like the, the advanced technology age, I guess? Um, I'm so glad that I didn't get into it at this age. I tell all the women that I work with, and I always hate it when I say that, but my confidence couldn't have taken it. I just know it. Like I, I just remember back then being, you know, always the first, you know, whatever place I was at. Um, and everybody constantly telling you they didn't care what you think. You didn't know what you think. You don't belong. Like, that's just always here. And that was really hard to get out of my head. And a lot of that was probably imagined, you know, that you just thought people said that or, you know, you, you know, assumed they did. But literally these young men and women now hear it all the time, that negativity. So there's some things I, I love with social media, but I'll never get over that. I'll never get over um, now that I feel like I am a mother to a couple thousand young women and I know how hard they work on their confidence and I know how hard they're trying to um, to make a career. And I know that it's so much bigger than uh, a stand up or it's so much if they mess up a name, which everybody does, um, and especially in the beginning. But I look at what happens to them and that absolutely kills me because I'm just so protective of them. And I know what it does to their confidence. So I can't imagine back then. I think also it would have been very difficult because it took such a long time to build relationships. I'm glad I wasn't young in the DM 
mistake. <laughs> no, like you had to really, you know, make sure you were coming off a certain way yeah. and you worked your relationships. And my, most of my girls call and talk about what do you, how do I handle someone sliding into my DMs? And I build a relationship with them, but yeah. not this one. And so that's, there's a lot of challenges to it that I'm very glad that I don't have to deal with. And I'm very sorry my young women do. Well, I mean, that's how we've been able to get some of our phenomenal guests is just shoot them a nice DM. So thankful for that. I think we DM'd you, yeah. <laughs> you guys can slide into my DMs. Like, that's the difference. <laughs> Those are some things that are really wonderful about it, that everybody's accessible, which is pretty awesome, and it makes this world you know, so much more connected at its best. But at its yes. worst, people yeah. think they know everybody. So there's such a different meanness now. And it's probably always been there, but now we get to really read it and feel it all the time. I won't. Um, I won't read Twitter on Sundays after games. It's the one time where I'm like, I know if I had a good game, I know if I had a bad game. I know, yeah. you know, if I said something that I wish I could take back, I know that. And I can walk out of a game and we're in the car and we're all like, that was great. Like we all crushed that. And all of a sudden, you can get on Twitter and it's like that was the worst broadcast I've ever heard. You know? <laughs> and so um, I just made, I implemented a no Sunday Twitter because I. Feel like Monday through Saturday people are pretty good, but Sunday, oh yeah, it's it's different. Definitely, there'll, there'll always be people out there trying to nitpick at everything you do and try and bring your success down. But I want you to get excited because it's time for another installment so, of the Matzo Ball so, Minute so, Questions. So. <laughs> I'm gonna ask you a, a couple fast-paced questions. Please elaborate if you'd like. Um, we'll try and get a little. Uh, a little, what's the word? I'm looking for a little con- Thank you. A little controversy. <laughs> that word. Wait, is this Judaism questions that I'm going to fail at? Or no, no. Quick hitters, quick hitters. Okay. Quick hitters. No Judaism. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> right, Judaism question. What was first page in the Torah? No. Exactly. Right? I mean, like, phone a, phone a brother, phone a brother. Yeah, right. Phone a friend. All right. Country music or rock and roll? Country, 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 country. All day. That was an easy one. That's the only thing I'd miss, you guys. I'm actually, I, I'm my husband and I are very good with our bubble. Like we enjoy this, and we really tried to make the most of this time together. But we always say if we could do one thing right now, the world open, and we're like, man, to just go to a great, com- a great concert, a great country show. Yeah, show for that. I feel like naturally you could just go to like a bar and some great live country music artist will be playing, right? <laughs> are you guys? Are any of you country music fans? Yeah, I, I like country music. Yeah. So when we first moved here, it was on a Tuesday night, and we were like, I don't know, you know, and I, we just looked who's playing Tuesday night, and Brothers Osborne was playing at a warehouse. And, like, and we walked over there, and you wait in line, and everybody's it's so opposite of L.A., and jeans and T-shirts and truly there for the music. And yeah. Tuesday night, rocked out to Brothers Osborne. So that's Nashville all the time. It's amazing. Uh- when I was in Nashville, we walked into a bar and Nathaniel uh, Ratliff and the Night Sweats were were performing. So that was that was unbelievable. Just at a bar. Like just, just at a bar. Yeah, Broadway. we walked in. They were just in there. The best, the best. Who is your favorite athlete to interview? You guys, I can't. There's so <laughs> many. I really can't. I there's too many. Like there's just too many at all different times and all different. That's difficult. Right? Like, is it is it a serious one? Is it a is it a deep one? Is it a fun one to go fishing? Like, there's just, there's too many. I, I just can't. I love it. That's fine. Sorry. Stick to it. <laughs> what is your biggest pet peeve? Do you guys know misophonia? No. What's that? No. Um, it's, uh, it's a true condition that 
I, I get irate, like I'm pretty chill, but I can't handle loud breathing or loud <laughs> chewing or, um, that's probably the biggest two, but anybody really like making noise, I, going back to the peripheral, I can hear yeah. that if, if my husband was in the room behind and we're engaged, but I could hear if he was breathing loudly there. And so I'm sure if you asked him his biggest pet peeve, it would be me complaining all the time about breathing, but it's, it's very hard <laughs> that I can't concentrate when, if somebody's doing it. And somebody watching this will be like, yes, that describes <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah. No <laughs> it. It's a good thing you've never had to experience a urinal because there's always the heavy breathers in the urinal and they always freak me out. For a lot of reasons, yeah. yes, I'm glad, but that one, that would be just way too yeah. much. Yeah, it's no. a piss, man. It's not a 40, 40 yard dash. <laughs> it's a, so, so what's it called again? If I'm saying it right. It's misophonia. So I thought it was, I thought you were going to, I thought it was going to be a joke like, oh, you lost, you, you can't find your phone always or you misplaced your phone. Misophonia. <laughs> no, but. I'm very thankful that I have a sister-in-law who has it and a nephew who has it. So we constantly are like sending horrible texts about people we love that yeah. we, just, I, we can't concentrate because they're breathing loudly at that moment. Those are, those, are, th- those are probably your favorite people to be around too because that you know they're going to eat quietly. They're going to keep their breathing to themselves. They never do. <laughs> they never do. That's the problem. Oh, that's the problem. <laughs> but it will ruin if you go for anyone watching this who thinks they have it. They have a test because you're like one through ten on it. And the highest level, if you suffer from it, it splits couples up. There's divorces and it's fights because people That's physically crazy. get violent from it. It makes you go from zero to a hundred like that. Like if, if honestly, if someone was breathing right now, I couldn't concentrate. I've never hit anyone, but I think about hitting them. So I'm high up there. On airplanes, I've asked people to not crack gum because I, I can't. I can't tell them not to breathe, but I can ask really sweetly and, and nicely if there's any way they wouldn't mind cracking gum in my <laughs> That drives me crazy. I, I hope my girlfriend has listened to this episode because she's going to say, oh, I definitely have it. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do, they just don't know it's really called something. <laughs> yeah, right. Last one for you. This might be extremely controversy. Your dog, Booya or your husband, Michael? No way. You guys, no way. I would never. <laughs> I love my family so much. I'm so grateful. The only thing I would say is right now, my husband is trying so hard for a puppy. So, yeah, so that's right now. I'm very happy with the three of us, but right now, probably my husband is more in the doghouse for wanting to add another puppy. What does he want? Another Rhodesian Ridgeback, which is what Booyah is, but Booyah is very timid and very shy, and so it's tough sometimes with him and dogs. He can get bullied, so we've really had to work on if we add another dog, they've got to be a good get-along dog because we don't want yeah. him to get bullied in his house. So let me run it by you guys and see what you think. We've been playing with names a lot, but temperament is everything. A good Ridgeback that comes in and just wants to be trained by Booyah and be a good brother. So we're thinking about uh, making sure the puppy knows his place in the order and the in the depth chart. So his name would be QB2, but we call him QB. But I like, like that a lot. He's a QB. He's QB too. Are you good QB. with it? QB. I like a QB. QB. Like Hubert, but QB, but his real official name will be QB too. That's too funny. I think my Wi-Fi went out for a second there. But, it did. You were frozen there for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I, I Sorry about that. I, 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 all I heard was QB too. So I'm just I thought you just gave the name. I... <laughs> QB two, QB for short. So, oh, Q, come here, QB. I like that. Exactly. Yeah. QB, QB, you kind of mix it up too a little bit. I don't know, but, yeah. uh, so we got one last question for you. 
Yes. We ask every single guest that we have on, if you could talk to the 15-year-old Laura Oakman, what kind of advice would you give her? Uh, hmm. uh, I get so sad when I think about that because she was so sad. Um, <laughs> I would tell her, I would tell her to be so much kinder to herself. I would tell her to um, to be as kind to herself as she was to other people. I would tell her to not take herself so seriously. And I would tell her, you are not going to believe how good it's about to get for you. Yeah, that was beautiful. <laughs> that was awesome. I'm guessing a lot of people say that. We're just, you know, you really find out how awful we are to ourselves, right? Some people say they would have told themselves to stay away from the candy, you know, all that <laughs> stuff. But, uh, no, you, you, you knocked that one out of the park for sure. You guys, I so enjoyed this time with you. Thanks for having me. Stay safe. We'll uh, we'll keep you posted on when we post the interview and stuff. But um, yeah, stay safe, and we hope to see you back on TV sometime soon. Uh, I hope so too. From my from your mouth to God's ears. Thank you so much, Seriously, This was awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. We love Laura so much, and we love that interview. We want to thank her once again for taking the time to come on the podcast today. If you don't follow her company, Galvanize, please do. They do great things, and she is amazing. Laura's done an incredible job at empowering and teaching younger women to follow her footsteps, and we couldn't be more excited to sit on the couch and watch her on TV this Sunday when the NFL comes back. I know everyone's super excited about that, especially us, even though it kind of feels weird right now with the NHL playoffs going on and the NBA playoffs going on doesn't really feel like football season, you know? I don't know how you feel about that, Cap, but just for me, like, I don't feel it at all. But speaking of that, Laz, I got to ask you this. Do you, are you more ex- or more upset that hockey is going away, that hockey playoffs are coming to an end, or are you more excited that football's starting? That's what I'm saying. It's like bittersweet kind of, right? That's oh, what yeah. Honestly, right I would say more upset that hockey's going away just because we don't know when it's going to come back. It's just like a lot of uncertainty. But, um, no, yeah, it's, it's hard to really – be excited for football season I mean listen I'm not the biggest diehard football fan like I enjoy it I do fantasy and all that but for me it's like wow like we're only gonna have football you know hockey and basketball are done like we don't know when they're coming back and baseball sure like they have another probably month and a half two months left but I mean I guess having only football isn't the worst thing better than having no football but um no I, I haven't really been able to like think about oh my god like it's football season like let's go my Sundays are gonna be on the couch now watching football so that hasn't really locked in yet. Speaking of hockey, though, Laz, I know we spoke a lot about football, big football interview, but, I mean, two series left. Um, I know we saw that first Tampa, Tampa Bay game. I mean, are you kidding me, dude? You were promoting the Islanders so heavy for that game one that you were expecting a huge Islander start, and now you're contemplating the whole entire series as a whole. I can see it in your face. I have to publicly apologize to my good friend Jason Berger, who is the equipment manager for the Tampa Bay Lightning. He was our equipment manager at the Maccabee Games in 2017. Um, he got a little mad at me for picking the Islanders, and a lot of my Maccabee teammates gave me shit this morning for it. But uh, it's all good fun. I, are you I, so? Are you sticking with the? So are you sticking with the Islanders pick now? Or, or you got You can't not. I can't. Right? No, no, I can't. I can't retract my comment. So I'm. Is that a word? Retract? I think so. Yeah. I can't retract my comment. You I'm going to about that word. By the way. Yeah, I think we did. Way early on, we did. I do remember that. But I'm going to stick with the Islander pick. Although I am rooting for my good friend, Jason Berger. I'd love to see him lift the Stanley Cup. And what about that other series? Yeah, I can't change my mind now. You know, I mean, I have to stick with what I predicted and, and I'm going to do it. But uh, 
Vegas, Dallas. Who are you like in that one? Vegas. I, 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 Vegas is so good, man. I mean, I, do, I, I do love talking, Dallas. But I, I was talking. I was talking to a couple of my buddies the other weekend, and it's like nobody could have predicted. So if Tampa wins and Vegas wins, yes, people could have definitely predicted a Tampa Bay versus a Vegas final. Two great organizations. But if the Islanders win and Dallas wins, there's no shot anybody predicted an Islanders Dallas Stars Stanley Cup final. I actually, one of my best friends texted me before the NHL season started, like back in last, last September, and said, give me three teams to put a futures bet on for the Stanley Cup. And he told me he already had Vegas, he had Tampa, and he asked me for the third, and I said Dallas. So he's been like so fired up about how good Dallas is doing. I think he, he put like 100 on it maybe to win like, like maybe $10,000. Oh, yeah, I made that stretch. I made that they number up. Stretch, but they weren't, I mean, they weren't projected to, to do well. I mean, they had a great team, but they weren't projected to do that great. I would say top seven. Yeah. 10, 10 K is maybe stretching a little. Yeah. Much. Definitely a made up number, but, um, you know, happy they're doing well. Dallas had a good team for a long time. And I, yeah, I mean, I'm excited. I'm excited to see the, the closeout. Definitely. I mean, it's going to be bittersweet coming to an end, but obviously, I mean, nothing gets better than Stanley cup final. Agreed. I guess we'll just have to see how it plays out. But again, football is back Sunday. If you're on the couch all day, don't, for, don't forget to get your very own dude robe at www.duderobe.com. Use our promo code LACA. We love our dude robes. I know for a fact I'll be chilling in mine watching football this weekend. So please go get your own. I think that wraps it up for this episode. We'll talk to you guys next week. Enjoy your weekend of the first week of the NFL. Mazel. Excited, everybody. Some days you'll live, yeah. Living like you'll never die. Blues a little bluer up in the sky. Your eyes a little high. You feel that fire you've been missing. Some days you'll live. Mm-hmm. Some days you'll live.